In this God and Sexuality series, we seek to explore the intent of God's design in this wonderful gift of life and sexuality, knowing that the ways of God in all things lead to flourishing, life, joy, and healing. In a time of Tinder, hookup culture, porn, gender fluidity, same-sex attraction, HBO, and the politicization of sex and all the gender debates, there are numerous voices clamoring to be heard on these topics. But at a deeper and more personal level, we know that our sexuality has incredible power to form us, power to bring health and flourishing, or pain and destruction. We are not looking to pick a fight with anyone, but rather show that any difference we may have most probably doesn't start with our beliefs on sexuality, but rather our beliefs on God and His intent and design for this world and its people. We want to create a place for all people to bring their whole lives, including their sexuality, to Jesus and let Him do the restoring work He needs to do. Now we will listen to the next installment of the God and Sexuality series. Thank you, Jeff. Wow, what a mouthful of announcements today. Hey, a lot going on, but that is exciting. I'm gonna ask uh, Veronica to come up here and to join me. For those of you who don't know Veronica, she has served as uh, part of the leadership team here in Bosch for our single-minded course. It's a journey that we've been running for a couple of years. And today our sub subject is, is singleness and sexuality. And we're gonna be speaking to that. So I thought what would be helpful is to ask Veronica to come up here. Well done, Percy, for being on the stage. I know this is not everyone's cup of tea, but I wanna ask you, Veronica, to tell us a little bit about how this journey started, what the course entails, and how it's been helpful to some of our people. Morning, everyone. Um, yeah, it is important to know where it started. In 2017, there were a group of women who approached Bev Draper, who was in leadership at that time, and said, we can't attend another woman's weekend retreat and find out about being better wives and better mothers, because we are neither wives nor mothers. And I think, still today, um, the pressure in society to be in a relationship is hectic. And sometimes in the church, you very much get the feeling that marriage is the ultimate goal. So if you are a single adult, particularly if you're older, you can feel like you're failing in some respect if you're a single person. Um, and sometimes you just feel invisible. So we worked together on a course and we ran our first pilot in 2018. Then we did 2019, 2020 was online. Um, and initially, the, the first group of people in the, in the course were women over 30, and this year we just spread it wide open and had men and women, um, and a range of singles, so they were from in their 20s to their 50s, and that includes people who are single, as in have never been married or divorced, um, as well as widowed people. Mm. And some of the benefits of this journey that you've seen, observed, experienced? So in, in our course, we kind of cover what society says about singleness as well as what the Bible says about singleness. Um, and we really encourage people to reflect on their own journey and experiences and how to hold dreams loosely um, and really to kind of fix themselves in the mindset of moving forward um, in a positive way and kind of trying to find their identity in Christ. Mm. And I think the main well, one of the main benefits really is to 
get in a room with like-minded people and be able to voice some of those fears and concerns that you think are only your own and be able to have a really honest and meaningful conversation about it. Brilliant. That's great. Veronica, <laughs> you guys have told me. I, I, am, not si I am not single. And... Uh, <laughs> Yet you guys have told me that it's important that I speak to this. And I think naturally I might have gone, hey, let's get one of our singles to speak to singleness. And yet you guys have encouraged me that this is important. Would love to hear from you and have everyone else hear why you think so. Okay. So, so our team was, have a lot of different views about this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, yes. So it really depends on what you're going to say. So... <laughs> No pressure. Um, and our feeling is that if you were going to stand up here and talk about the challenges or the joys of being single, then you are not the right person. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are a good pastor and you're going to research the theology of singleness and where singles fit in the church, then crack on. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Veronica, let's thank Veronica and the team. And, and I'm going to push start and crack on, okay? As we look to singleness this morning and to the singles in the room by way of grappling with this, maybe it reassures you in some way or maybe it scares you in some way that I grappled in all my normal preach kind of prep slots with this. And I normally do that on Tuesday morning and Thursday the whole day. And then I get to Saturday afternoon and kind of have the morning with the family and tap out. And then I kind of normally prep on a Saturday kind of later afternoon and into the evening, get my head really in gear, wake up early in the morning, preach it to myself again. Last night, I went to sleep at 3.30 in the morning. I woke up again at 6.30, grappling with, man, this is an important subject. And God, I feel like I'm seeing things here that I haven't seen before. And God, I so don't wanna get this wrong because here's a group of people that in our context and in the church at large have so often not been served. And I wanna serve them well. God, won't you help me? And that's my heart here this morning, that God would help us as we speak to Two different subjects in a sense. One, singleness. We're gonna be speaking about the state of being single, God's view on that. And we're also gonna be speaking about singleness and sexuality, what that means for single Christians when it comes to sexual expression. And we're gonna be weaving in and out of speaking to, to both of those things here this morning. But let me just quickly say this on the front end. This is not gonna be a purity talk or a sexual boundaries talk or anything like that, right? I'm hoping that we're gonna raise our gaze together to look at God's understanding and view of singleness. Again, just at the outset, I feel like it's so important to, to thank many of the people that have contributed into my life in preparation. Firstly, I wanna thank uh, Jill Blackshaw. In our community over the last five years, definitely the single person who has most helped me personally to have eyes to see and to understand and to grapple with in such a helpful and empowering way. So Jill also, I was engaging with her quite a lot this week and gave brilliant insight. I'm not sure if she's in the room or what, but 
uh, just to, to Jill, then to Kat, who helped with pulling together a lot of resources and, and that kind of thing and speaking into this. And then I wanna just mention by name a whole bunch of the people like John Tyson and Tim Keller and Sam Albury and others that I will quote today. I'm just saying they have shaped a lot of what I've gleaned from on this and I'm not gonna be able to quote them specifically sufficiently as I go through. So I just wanna mention them and give credit where credit is due. But let's jump in. Three reasons why I feel like all of us, every single one of us in the room, looking at, contending with, understanding singleness is such an important subject matter for all of us to grapple with. Firstly, because we are the body of Christ. So what affects one affects all of us. And some of the singles said, we always say that when we're gonna talk about marriage. So we might as well say that when we're gonna talk about singleness too, and I think that's right because we believe it, it's true. We're a spiritual family and the dynamics of being a spiritual family mean that when one is flourishing, we all celebrate. When one is struggling, we all come alongside and we support and strengthen. We have a vested interest in each other's well-being. Second reason why I feel like this is important to speak about is that singleness is all around us. Singleness is all around of us. Each of us have been, or currently are, or for half of the marrieds today, eventually will be single again. Each of us have single people around us that we love and that are dear to us, that we care about, and it's important that we get God's view on this so that we can care well for them. Did you know that this is also the generation that's growing up right now that will be singles for longer than any other generation in human history? Stats SA says that in 2001, the average age of brides was 25, and by 2019, that had grown to the age of 33. Right here in Bosch, roughly 400 of the 1,800 adults who call this church their home are singles. That's 22%, or one in five People in our adult community are singles. And let me just say quickly, I do recognize that to kind of paint all singles with one brush is most probably unwise. And Veronica kind of alluded to that just now already. We have three kinds of singles, I believe. Firstly, we have youthful singles. What's unique about them is that they are quite definitely, generally looking, hoping, dating, making comments like Zoe made today. Unfortunately for me, I'm single, right? That, that, that's the reality of our youthful singles. And they somewhat unestablished in their lives. They're mostly not thinking about singleness. Zoe is not thinking about singleness, right? She's thinking about, so what's his name? When's he coming, right? Secondly, we have our mature singles, our mature singles. Veronica's a, a beautiful display of that. She was just up here. Uh, for our mature singles, now I'm no longer commenting on Veronica specifically, they possibly are looking, hoping and dating. They are definitely more established in life and some are, are grappling, some with great measure and great success and others less so in issues of security and settledness in their singleness. And then the third category of singles is the single again category. Again, possibly looking, hoping, dating, but often in a space of reorientating in life. Maybe some are, are finding themselves in a place where they're needing to, to move through and work through, get healing or healed up in the realities of loss and divorce. And again, some are grappling with their security in different measures and their settledness and their singleness in different measures. Three different types of singles 
with very different realities and opportunities and experiences and challenges before them. But here's the thing, for all singles, matters of singleness and sexuality are relevance. These questions apply to every one of these singles. Firstly, does God expect all singles to remain sexually inactive? What's God's best for me as a single sexually? If I'm lonely, is it okay to date and pursue a non-believer? Are there other kind of forms of intimacy that are encouraged for Christ-following singles? And those questions, I think, lead to the third reason why I feel like it's so important for us to speak to this as a spiritual community is to make sure we all have God's view on these important matters. There's so many views out there and we're gonna unpack a few of these, right? But I, I feel like it's so important that we raise our gaze to God's view of these things. And once again, this is a, a dynamic of where I believe the truth will set us free to live in greater freedom and greater contribution and greater security and contentment when we get God's view on these things and we live in light of that. This is a difficult subject to speak to, but I am, I am joyful and excited to speak to it because I believe there's an opportunity to invite our singles into more of what God has, the life, the fullness, the beauty, the strength thereof. See, but I have to say on the front end, the church has not always got these things right. These three things, these three important matters that I've just spoken about, I don't think we've got them right. And I wanna take a moment today to, to acknowledge to our singles where we can recognize that and own that and, and ask for your forgiveness for that. And I wanna call us as a church to think more deeply about these matters, to be more considerate in these matters. Let's own where we haven't always been the best version of the body of Christ to our singles. Maybe we've made them feel excluded in certain ways or like second-rate citizens, like Veronica said, feeling like a half person. My favorite feedback uh, to being insensitive, uh, Sam Albury speaks of a lady coming to speak to him and just helping him understand that for a single person at a wedding, it is as insensitive to say the words, maybe you'll be next as it is to say to an old person at a funeral, the same words, maybe he'll be next. <laughs> These sensitivities, we, we have to recognize them and come to terms with them. We think we're being kind and nice. Let's be a people that consider our words. Let's think about how seemingly innocent statements like it's only a season or introducing our spouses as my better half both don't reflect our theology and can also leave some questioning if they are only a half person without a better half. Secondly, I think we can own where we haven't always recognized and prioritized singles amongst us. With ministries and events like you've heard of today, for every single group, if you're expecting a child, if you wanna play with other parents who've got kids, if you wanna be a man or a woman or a father or a daughter, like we've got things for everything. And in the context of the community, we have underserved, we've undercracked on with regards to uh, our singles, right? And we've got to own that. Yes, let me just say, we want our singles involved everywhere. My hope is that you're in life group and that you, you're doing community and that you're serving and that you're coming to men's events and women's events and you're involved in community everywhere, but we also don't want to undergun it with regards to recognizing there are some realities to being single that we as a spiritual community can facilitate and serve. 
So coming to a who's coming for lunch singles event is not kind of going, okay, I'm deeming myself in that category. No, it's going, if I feel like more connection, great opportunity. If it's not your cup of tea, ignore it. Like most people ignore half the things in the life of the church. That's okay. It's here as an option to serve and to dial in were that to serve you. But we recognize for many of our singles, there's a hunger for greater spiritual connection, I mean community connection. I think this also works at a more intimate and smaller level in the more friendship spaces. Can I charge our marrieds today to not just be friends with marrieds, to not just do dinner club with marrieds? Can I encourage families to not just do holiday with families? Let's do our best to be the true family God wants us to be as a church. Thirdly, can I own that the church globally and us here locally, we have not always declared the truth of God's view on singleness and sexuality well. Tim and Kathy Keller write a book called The Meaning of Marriage. It's a brilliant book on marriage, but they write a chapter on singleness, which is also very profound. And I'd encourage you to check it out if you haven't. But he says that very common mistakes and theological kind of warped theology gets injected into church when it comes to singleness quite often. And we've got to own that. And and he, he states a couple of kind of comments that you might hear Christians say with some sassy retorts, right? Listen to these. He says, as soon as, you might hear Christians say this, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life as though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. You're too picky, as though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs broader parameters in which to work. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful, as though God grants marriage as a second blessing to the satisfactorily satisfied. Or worse still, here's my addedness to this, This insinuates that if still single, you obviously aren't wonderful yet. There are many more subtle and not so subtle wrongs, unhelpful things that get said in the church and in spiritual community that can undermine God's real view of singleness. Like preachers who only ever get up and give you the family check-in. Hey guys, just before I check in, let me tell you about my wife and my kids and we're all good. We've got to own the reality that in that moment, what we're doing is we are settling a primary identity as being there and we potentially, I'm not sure when I ever told you about my friends, but we're potentially undervaluing some of the things that the scriptures value by way of God's view on friendship and the importance thereof. We've got to own this and take this on the chin. But coming out of freshly looking at this, can I just tell you that my, in my preparation today, I wanna again say that I believe that it is so important and absolutely vital that we all get this. God's high view. And I hope to do some of that today. So what I wanna do is before we get into God's view, I'm gonna tell you a couple of other views, a couple of other stories that are out there in the context of our worlds today you'll most probably be able to identify them. Maybe you, as a single, have felt some of the pressure of these stories. Veronica definitely seemed to suggest that she has. Four other kind of cultural stories that shape our experience of being single. The first one is this, the no offspring, no future story. 
In this story, there's a big pressure to marry and to bring about children in the belief that being married will definitely secure your future because you don't want to be lonely when you're older, right? And family name and legacy, these things are of real priority. This is the true story for so many of our cultures, particularly in non-Western cultures. All of my friends from other African contexts are kind of going, I know about this one, right? Here I am, I'm just trying to get through my degree, but every phone call, mom's like, and so, have you met anyone yet? Is there a someone on the horizon? Did you hear about Johnny? Johnny, well, you know Johnny that you used to play with when you were growing up? Well, he's a lawyer now. How many, how many of you have ever experienced the pressure of the no offspring, no future story? What about the marriage is ultimate story? That's the second one. The story that says life only really begins when you get married and, and have a family. Before that, you're just a junior member of society. You see this reinforced in a couple of ways. You see this reinforced when your family give you the lousy back room when you go on holidays and all the couples and families get the rooms with a view. You see this reinforced when your job says to you, hey, would you mind as a single moving because the rest of the team's all kind of bedded in with families and couples. Like you ha don't have to work triply hard to establish a relational community around you. And you don't, because you don't have the privilege of just sinking back into your family and marriage wherever you are in the world. And two singles came up to me after the uh, service this morning and said to me, and two other examples, what happens when people say to you, hey, can you work Saturday because you're single? Or hey, how about, can we not give you that increase because things are tight and actually the married people need it more? Real examples from their life. The marriage, marriage's ultimate story, the story of marriage being ultimate leads to a society of people who are left waiting and looking and longing. A serial monogamy story. That's the third one, right? I had to look at the Urban Dictionary to understand what that was. But a serial monogamist is one who spends as little time as possible being single and moves from the end of one relationship to the beginning of a new relationship as quickly as possible. This is the romantic love story chaser. And they are driven along by the theme song of Moulin Rouge, which is the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and to be loved in return. This is the fear of being alone story. This is where you're looking for the one to which you can say, you complete me. You had me at hello. <laughs> in this story, we're introduced to the idolatry of the soulmates. In this story, you hear people saying things like this. I want someone who will fill every vacancy in me, awaken me a dormant gift, and continually capture me in otherworldly emotional bliss. And ideally, I'm hoping that they are surgeon with a side hobby in law and a little bit of part-time modeling. <laughs> you laugh, but we know it's not too far from the truth, right? And the single young person or who introduces the possible to their family, they know that this story is the story that is informing people's perspectives. In this story, people find themselves experiencing a very real Christian version of this, where people have wrongly come to promote that God has one perfect person, the one, for you, and you just need to go on the adventure of finding them. It's not a story the Bible describes. 
Now, all three of these stories that I've mentioned, these cultural stories that are kind of promoted out there, they all more negative, right? And they, they, these more kind of traditional views of marriage come with them what I would call the shame of singleness. The shame of singleness. And our singles tell us how real this is and the experience of it. That somehow people see them as defective or unfulfilled or lonely or even to be pitied. John Tyson speaks about these stories driving the single people to a place where they feel like they're caught up in something of a, a single purgatory. They're just waiting for someone, the kind of knight in shining armor to come and release them from this singleness purgatory. But none of these views, these three stories that the world tells us are God's view. But there's one more. There is one more, also not God's view. This is on the other side of the continuum. This is the sex is just fun and for everyone story. See, that says, this story says that sex is just play for adults, only consent is required, but sex is an appetite and we've all got it, so surely we should all be participating. Here's celibacy and sexual abstinence are looked down on and they're seen as a dangerous form of self-denial. And here many have a view that things uh, in reality of being human are to express yourself fully and truly, including sexually, and to deny yourself that is to not truly be alive. Sam Albury points out that movies like the 40-year-old virgin are a comedy in our society because the notion of getting to being the age of 40 and never having had sex is so absurd to many in society that it's laughable. Movies like 40 Days and 40 Nights, another example of where society, kind of the premises of a person not having sex for 40 days and 40 nights, and it's kind of like, that is unthinkable. And sex is elevated and sex is fun and Surely sex must be for everyone. This view is very different. It's a different take on singleness and sexuality. It's on the other side of the continuum from the shame of singleness. No, this is the positive progressive view of singleness, what I'm calling the self-indulgence of singleness, where there's freedom and there's flexibility and you know, there's particularly the opportunity for sexual opportunity. But this is where we are introduced to the idol of sexual fulfillment. That sex will satisfy us. That sex will meet all of our needs. That will provide deep contentment for this. But we've spoken already in the first two weeks, we've spoken about how this is just not true of sex. Sex that takes place for what I get out of it alone is not good sex. Sex that happens outside of long-term intimacy and the safety of commitment is not safe Sex, sex that promises to fill the longing of our hearts will disappoint us. And Tim Keller speaks about how in our progressive kind of society and world today, many people are actually trapped in the worst of both idolatries, where they're hating themselves for being single and they're feeling the pressure of the shame of singleness that comes from the more traditional cultures. And at the same time, they're sleeping around and they're chasing after the idol of sexual fulfillment because this indulgence of sexual kind of 
exploration and freedom is being, is being promoted to them. But they're stuck in both, but not fulfilled by either. And he says that if you're a Christian single and you find yourself in the place of being stuck in the worst of both idolatries, he says you have not encountered Jesus at his worldview level. You have not understand, understood how he sees these important matters. Because if you are stuck in both of these things, you fully conform to the ways and the patterns of this world. And scripture calls you as a Christ follower to come out of that. And we believe that the spiritual community should be a community that facilitates and helps and comes alongside, cares for and contends with you to come out of being stuck and the worst of both of these idolatries. I hope that there aren't many of our Christians singles in that place, but I think that it's so important for us to contend with this. So important for us to recognize that in our more self-orientated autonomy of self, uh, the increasing glorification of self kind of will, we have to guard our hearts and minds from the promoters and the marketers that are saying this is what you're worthy of. And functionally, they're just trying to get us to buy in to their economic engine. We need to see these matters the way that God sees them. All of us, I think it's so important that we make sure that we see God's view of singleness and God's view of marriage and that we give ourselves to subscribing to the sanctifying curriculum that each of those things holds. Because one theologian once said, God is more focused on our holiness than our happiness. And when he gets our holiness, he knows that we are satisfied at the deepest level. And the question becomes, currently have you been given marriage or have you been given singleness as the curriculum for your holiness as a follower of Jesus? So let's look at a biblical version and vision for singleness and sexuality. For that, we're gonna to turn to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, this is the passage that we started with. Uh, I launched the series a couple of weeks ago and we, we started here, Jesus gets taken on. He gets taken on by some of the, the Pharisees and they're asking him questions about divorce. They're trying to catch him out. And what does he say? What does he say? Jesus gives us something of a blueprint for how we should handle and approach all matters of sexuality in our world today. Jesus says to them, and we should do this too, he stands upon God's word. He says, you, have you not read? And then secondly, he says, we look to God's design. He who created them, made them male and female. And then thirdly, he says, we submit to God's authority. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And that's a, that's a beautiful blueprint for us as we approach each of these subjects. But I wanna pick up reading a, a couple of verses down. Let's jump to verse seven now. And a second question is, is introduced to Jesus. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. God's kind of going, hey, there's these, these kind of concessions that have been made because hearts are hard, and yet this is not my intent or design or desire. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And there's a whole sermon on divorce in here, which, which we're not gonna get to. 
But it's giving context for now what happens. Jesus gets asked a third question, this time from his disciples, his closest followers. They kind of hearing how he's talking about marriage and divorce and all the realities of that. And they ask him this important question, verse 12. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. These are his most devoted followers. And they're asking him whether getting married is right and worth it or not. But he said to them, and you can imagine Jesus' voice as he says this, just drops a little bit. And you can imagine them all leaning in because he's about to kind of give his verdict on whether marriage is worth it or not. What's he gonna say? He says this, not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it is given. We'll come back to that. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. I think it's important to say that Jesus is not speaking about physical castration in his, those who have made themselves eunuchs. He's speaking of those who have given up that which this, the kind of anatomy represents for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. See Jesus in classic Jesus style. He doesn't kind of, they ask him, hey, is this marriage thing worth it? He doesn't kind of sit back and go, hey guys, let me give you the kind of rainbows and butterflies version here. Jesus takes a picture, a relevant picture out of society, and like he does on so many other issues, he slams it to the gut for all of these guys with powerful imagery with regards to his perspective on marriage and singleness. And we're gonna unpack that a little bit more. He, he, he introduces powerful and provocative and challenging imagery into the conversation. And every person here would have, would have known and understood what a eunuch is, right? They have the, the picture and the reality of that in their minds. And Jesus answers their question here by speaking of a third type of eunuch which they wouldn't have known about. Obviously eunuchs who have been born, been, been so from birth speaks of, about intersex people. And eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men speaks about how slaves uh, in those times and people who worked in the kind of royal houses and things like that, either for kind of protection means or political means or, or punishment, they would have been castrated and become eunuchs for these different purposes. Now, they would have known about those. But Jesus introduces a third category. See, and, and what they would have associated with, with both of those is that these are people who clearly recognize that sex and children and family legacies were not gonna be a part of their equation. But he introduces this third category, eunuchs who have been made, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus suggests this unthinkable reality to most ears, that there would be some who voluntarily don't marry, don't have children, don't participate in sexual activity for the sake of serving 
the kingdom of God. It's a totally new idea, but, but Jesus brings it across in this profound way of using the imagery and the picture of eunuchs. See, most of them would have known of slaves who worked in royal households, those who had kind of been, for practical reasons, made eunuchs. They would have been less of a physical threat. That would be one reason. They would have no personal family dynasty building or focus on family dynamics and distractions of their own. And they were prioritizing the reality of what they were giving themselves to. And Jesus says that there's some who choose to to make themselves the same for the sake of the kingdom. Importantly, Jesus is, is speaking here with the confidence. See, Jesus doesn't go, hey, here's the equation of loss that I want to introduce you to right now. Yeah, you can make yourself a eunuch and here's all the things you're gonna lose. He's gonna say, man, this is not easy. But actually, I think this is viable. I've got a picture for singleness that actually is sufficient and secure and beautiful and has place and purpose in my kingdom. Importantly, Jesus gives a few words of qualification to the teaching. He says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. And let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. See, Jesus is making three things clear. Firstly, this call to permanent singleness isn't for everyone. Jesus has still got a high view of marriage and he fully endorses that. But secondly, there are some to whom this is given. And I think this is a tricky dynamic to put in here and to explore. And the question that many Christians would ask is, is this the gift of singleness that Jesus is talking about to which I confidently will say, I think so. Because not everyone is in total agreement about what the gift of singleness is exactly in the scriptures. But clearly here it would seem that Jesus is speaking about singleness given to some. And you can imagine that when that is given and it is well received, it can be experienced as as a gift. In 1 Corinthians uh, 7, Paul speaks about his singleness as a gift. And generally in his writings, Paul is speaking about uh, gifts or those kinds of things that people have for the, the, blessing and, the blessing and serving and strengthening of others, something that they've been given by God that allows them to do that well, which can be true of singleness. And it seems to be Jesus' point here in this passage. But in that context of the 1 Corinthians 7 passage, it would also seem that the gift of being single for Paul likely was mostly found in his freedom, the freedom that it provided him to concentrate on ministry in a way that a married person could not, which he clearly received or saw as the gift. He's not speaking about some kind of superpower or ability that's given by God to be single specifically. And I think, to be honest, as I've looked at all of this, I resonate most with the way that Sam Albury sees it, where he suggests that the gift of singleness is not just the capacity of singleness, and it's definitely not some special superpower of singleness, which some have and others don't. Rather, he sees the gift of singleness as the state of being single, and then primarily it is either experienced as a gift or not based on the way the person sees it and experiences their singleness and their contentment in it. Does that make sense? I think I resonate with that the most, which 
helps us understand Jesus' third point here, that there is a receiving that needs to be done by those who are able, those who are able. It doesn't seem like Jesus is suggesting this lightly. It doesn't seem like Jesus is kind of going, oh, if we can squeeze this one through. No, he's sensitive, but he says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This actually sounds like a a call to courage and conviction. Jesus is really calling those that are able to it, which means he has a, a confidence, a deep confidence in it, which may seem culturally shocking to so many in this room today, but it would have been equally culturally shocking, most probably even more in their day then. See, this is so countercultural. A Jewish vision of that day was that marriage is a command and that celibacy was to be deplored, like our shame of singleness culture today. The Greek vision of the day was that the eunuchs were, were looked down to as kind of like a lower class because they, they had mutilated their human body and the Greek kind of emphasis was on the, the glory and the beauty of the body and the statues and the, all of that. Kind of like our shame, I mean, kind of like our sex kind of in society is today, this kind of overly amplified and glorified view of sex. The Roman vision of the day was that as women, you lost everything in divorce or death, the death of your spouse. And because of that, there were laws given by Caesar that if you uh, were divorced or you had lost a, a husband, you had to get married inside of two years so that you would not become a burden to society. Kind of like our marriage's ultimate story that's being portrayed today. Makes you feel like your life is on hold until you're married. But into all of that, into all of that, Jesus radically and unapologetically paints this other picture of possibility when it comes to singleness. A celebrated, a secure, and a purposeful singleness where there's no fear of being single because God is ultimate and He is enough. There's no shame because you are fully His, loved and recognized and celebrated, beautifully created and a called out one, son or daughter. And your life is not on hold because you have His purposes clearly declared to you and you have been invited to partake in them. I think it's beautiful that Jesus Whenever he makes these comments and things like that, we see how he he draws on imagery from the Old Testament and he speaks to realities that would have triggered for the kind of Jewish megaminds of memory certain contexts and texts out of the Old Testament. And I think it's beautiful. We don't know this for sure, but I think there's a possibility that as Jesus is using this picture of the eunuch, he's actually got a throwback to the promises of Scripture to the eunuchs. Listen to Isaiah 56 verse 3, which speaks to eunuchs. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. In other words, a tree bearing no children or fruit or serving no purpose. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Again, vivid imagery of the cutting off. Scripture is stating here 
though you may feel like you have little or that you have lost out, single person, in God's economy, there is much to be gained. There is much to be gained for those who give themselves wholly to his kingdom and purpose, better than sons and daughters, fully blessed by God and welcomed in and rewards that can never be taken away. See, the scripture is expressing again the beauty of kingdom theology, right? We already, we're in the already and we're in the not yet. The kingdom is coming, but it is not yet fully come and we're stuck in between that reality. And good kingdom theology helps us to keep a good balance between these things. 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul has kind of got his primary uh, talking to singleness, which we've spoken on before, so I'm not gonna go there today. But he says we can, we can marry or we can not marry, Paul mentioned it last week, because we're, we're in the, the not yet. And in light of the future, we shouldn't get too attached though, however, to our marriedness or our singleness, and we shouldn't get too distressed by our marriedness and our singleness. Because the ultimate family and the ultimate wedding, it's in the future. And our ultimate state is that of being single and we will live in it forever. Our deepest desires in this time will never fully be fulfilled in this time. But in Christ and in eternity, all of us will be overwhelmed by the glories and the goodness of God to our deepest deepest longing and desire. Jesus has done this on so many matters. He radically calls his disciples to prioritize his kingdom first and to live for that which is eternal. See, the central message of the New Testament is the kingdom of God coming, which guarantees all of us, even if we're not doing that well in this world's, by way of land and title and deed and marriage and children and dynasty and legacy. He promises us all of those things in the heavenly realm. Listen to how Jesus continues later in that passage, bottom of chapter 19. He says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers and sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfolds and will inherit eternal life. There's a beauty and a richness in celebrating and embracing singleness for the purpose of God. Not embracing it in an unhelpful way. Where does it lead to? Listen, listen, listen to where this leads to this kind of Jesus reality and how it impacts the world. In Stanley Harwa's book, I don't know how to say his name, Community of character, he points this out. He says, Christian, Christianity became the very first religion or worldview that held up single adulthood as a way of life. The first one in society because Jesus himself was the ultimate display and celebration of singleness. Jesus made himself a eunuch, not physically, but he made himself a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. He lived a single and celibate life. He forgo any sexual expression, yet he was a fully fledged person. He lived out his teaching. 
And he is the most complete and perfect human being who ever lived. And he didn't feel the need to get married or to have sex to display that perfect humanity to us. In Jesus, we see the beauty of what's possible in singleness. He accessed all that he needed from his heavenly father. He experienced deep friendship with his ministry brothers. And he enjoyed the rich and wide community of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And he says, hey, look after them. Jesus says, who are my brothers and sisters? Is it not these, these that I'm living and with? So did Paul, most famous of the world's missionaries, wrote a chunk of the New Testament. He was single. And his personal greetings and the way that he speaks about real affections and familial language for the people around him. They're sobbing when he leaves and climbs on the boat and he's sending greetings to everybody by name and kiss this one and holy this one. And Jesus and Paul are such great examples to us of what it looks like to successfully live with the high view, God's view of singleness. And radically, they invite others to come and take this view and participate with them. Another last important point is that your singleness, because of the eternal reality, is a signpost to the state we will all be in one day. Christian writer Paige Brown reminds us of this by saying, let's face it, singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs. If it were, heaven would be, an inferior, would be inferior to this world for most of the Christians. This is God's view of singleness and sexuality. The scriptures value singleness. Jesus sees it as a strong option for those keen to walk closely with him. Jesus doesn't see it as a second-rate option or singleness as half-formed people. He was the perfect display of that. Jesus also doesn't think that everyone must stay single, but he clearly sees that singleness does equate to no sexual activity like becoming the eunuch for the purposes of God outside of the context of the safety of the environment of marriage that he's created for sexual exploration and expression. And importantly, Jesus doesn't feel like because of that, you have lost out if you're single. And lastly, we only lightly touched on it, but the scriptures are clear that we as the church are the community in which our singles are to thrive and to flourish. And we're called to be the family of God to each other. Listen to how Brooks Waldron states this vision of Christian singleness. Singleness is uniquely designed to showcase the sufficiency and superiority of God. Because singles are called to find in God what those who are married often find in one another. Those who are called to marriage often find in their spouses love, affirmation, security, comfort, companionship, and intimacy, among other things. For those who are single, however, having a sense of these things is often less certain or immediate. And this requires them to depend on God in a greater way for the fulfillment of such needs and desires. Singleness points in a unique way to the truth that all our needs and desires are found ultimately in Christ alone. Sam Albury says, if marriage shows the shape of the gospel, 
the idea of a life laid down for another, then singleness shows of its sufficiency. That God is all we need, not to just survive in this life, but to truly thrive. I just wanna say pastorally as I kind of bring things in to close here that I recognize the interesting element of this eunuch passage is that Jesus is clearly saying, let the one who is able to receive this receive it. He seems to be speaking to a choice here. And while I think that some can most probably express that choice, most singles that I've come into interaction with and chatted to find themselves as singles not by choice. The reality is they haven't chosen their singleness and I wanna be sensitive to that, but, but I think that still doesn't detract from the point that Jesus would wanna make. I think there's a key point that he's getting at here that you still have a choice around how you receive your singleness. See, you either have marriage or you have singleness. That is what you have. And the question becomes how you then receive that and how you then use that and how you relate to that reality. Will your singleness, whether it's permanent or whether it's temporary, be the burden you begrudgingly bear? Or will you receive it with more of his high view and the possibility and the opportunity that it creates to be like him and to be participant with him? See, this radically counters those unhelpful views of singleness. It allows for the possibility of contentment in and appreciation of singleness. We don't have to look down on it. It takes the pressure of feeling like you have to prove yourself through marriage or become whole. It de-escalates sex from this unhelpful place of prominence in our society as this ultimate priority that everybody chases after. And it provides fresh kingdom purpose as it recognizes the capacity and the focus that singles have to serve his purpose and to be about the Father's business, kingdom business. Importantly, it raises the importance of healthy biblical community and true friendship. Jill asked me to, well, she didn't ask me, she sent me this and I thought it would be fantastic. Her words, member, single member of this community, a call to singles in this community. This is the unique opportunity and perhaps even responsibility we have as singles. If we can learn to be content in our singleness, we can best show the sufficiency of the gospel that Jesus truly is enough. We can best live a life of demonstrating total dependence on God alone for all things. In doing so, we can be a reminder to those around us that the right place for our hope and trust is in God alone. Beautiful, beautiful. I wanna end there, but I, I do wanna just give a quick challenge to our non-singles and our singles. To our non-singles, can I encourage you to raise your view? Let's share God's view of singleness and to raise your personal game. Remove wrong thinking. Help promote biblical thinking about marriage. Encourage, celebrate, do not look down on, speak well of, be sensitive. Raise your game. And then let's raise our community game, becoming the community that God wants us to be. Jill also said, I believe the difficult parts of being single would be so much easier if we as a church truly lived like the family God wants us to be. I just love that. 
Paige Brown, no single should ever expect relational impoverishment by virtue of being single. We should covenant to love people, to initiate, to serve and to commit. What about a challenge to our singles? Can I encourage you to, to raise your view? Share God's view on your singleness and secondly, get a specific and personal vision for your singleness. And then raise your personal game, journey with God and with others where needed. Invite people in, press into friendship. C.S. Lewis once said our culture places way too much emphasis on romantic love and not nearly enough on friendship love. This is an important encouragement of the scriptures. Press into friendship and use the, the gift and what it provides, capacity and flexibility. Stand secure and don't give in to the lies and compromise of sexual sin. But then also, can I encourage you as singles to help us raise our community game? Be family to us as non-singles, speak to us, give us feedback. Invite us into your worlds. I love one of the older ladies in our community. She lost her husband a good couple of years ago and a few years ago she came up to me and she said, Ryan, I would just love you to give me hugs whenever you see me. She said, I've realized since my husband passed that one of the things I really miss is just the physical affection and this is sanctified, legitimate expression of physical touch. And I know you're a hugger so just hug me whenever you see me. I was so served by that. And I am a hugger. I know this might not be everybody's thing, but I'm a hugger. Every time I saw it, it was my great to joy to bound over to her and give her a big hug. And she had just let me in to the reality of that was meaningful to her. And it allowed me to be a form of grace flow towards her. And it served me too. She's like a mother to me. Just because we hug often, she feels like my mom. can't see my notes. Let's pray together. God, we, we recognize that in many ways this is sensitive territory for many. God, and because the stories are told in our worlds, can often reflect on us and the feelings and perceptions that we have of ourselves. And God, today I would ask that you would come into this building and into the lives of every single single here, youthful single, mature single, single again single, and that you would be the God who's experienced as the God who is near. God, I pray that you would raise our gaze to see singleness and the possibilities and the joy of that in the way that you saw it. God, to where the ache is real, I ask that you would minister your comforts. And to where those, uh, those singles who are recognizing the capacity they have or wanting to get more involved, God, I pray that you would link them into community and into mission and to purpose in wonderful new ways. But do your deep work, Holy Spirit, counselor, comforter, guide. We welcome you again to come and sanctify us. God, we recognise that in many ways you, you are more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. And yet we know that when we're holy, we're gonna be ultimately happy. And so it's not an unhelpful continuum. God, you just call us into holiness and being sanctified into your likeness. God, make us a community where we see it and we celebrate it and we make room for everyone. 
We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen.